0: Welcome to I Wanna Put a Baby in You, a podcast exploring reproductive technology and life-changing stories. Here are your hosts, Jennifer White and Ellen Trackman. Welcome to I Want to Put a Baby in You, a podcast where we explore all things assisted reproductive technology. I'm Ellen Trackman here with Jennifer White. Jennifer Wait, White. Wait, I almost I jumped over you, I'm sorry. Ah, yeah. <laughs> no worries. Uh, and today we have an Olympian on. So today's pre-question before we go into the interview, Jen, if you could be in the Olympics, what sport would you compete in?
1: I mean, now or what would I like if I was younger when I actually was able to do such things, <laughs> when I felt capable of doing things? Yeah. I, I'm like, as you know, I had knee surgery recently, so I'm like, I don't feel capable of doing anything Olympics related mm-hmm. except for like couch Olympics, basically. Nice. Nice. Um no, but I played soccer while I was in school and I always felt like that if I was gonna do something, I was at least gonna go play in college and you know maybe. But at that time, like women playing soccer also wasn't an Olympics thing. So I it, just totally dated myself. Is it so now? yeah. <laughs> is
0: soccer in the Olympics? Yeah. Oh, great. Oh yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah. Women's soccer is in the Olympics. Yeah, has been for a couple couple times. So yeah, US does really well.
0: Um, so what about you? Besides children uh, who like you your kids. Oh. <laughs> I, I That's an Olympic sport, right. too. Um, figure skating was always my favorite to watch the kid. Always so really? beautiful and pretty. But quite frankly, I'm similar where I'm like old now and would just not want to be hurt. And I feel like maybe curling looks the safest. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Done. So they say oh, it's on ice and I'd be afraid. True.
1: I don't know. It's like I'd slip, slip on the ice. Uh, you know? <laughs> yeah, everything else. Although they probably right. wear like fancy studded shoes or something. Right. So. right. Yes.
0: yes. OK, well, let's talk um, to an actual okay. Olympian. And without further ado, here we go. Welcome, Dr. Christina Yadnetsov to the show. Christina, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. <laughs> No problem. So, Christina, uh, you actually—I guess I met some of our guests in person, <laughs> but not definitely not all of them. So, I'm excited that you are someone I've met in person and got a chance to to work with closely on advocacy. But you personally have your own story and are one of our guests who are kind of in the middle of that story. So, hopefully, we'll have an exciting update later in the. In the uh, in our podcast history to share as well, but we're hoping to talk to you about that journey as well as your advocacy work. Um, but before we do that, I'd love to talk about your very very impressive background. So, um, how when did when did you know that you would be going to the Olympics? Start at the beginning,
2: childhood, <laughs> childhood. In, so in utero, All right? I know. <laughs> I um, so <laughs> so I was. Uh, I, I, so we'll start out with, I was an athlete for a really long time and started judo at the sport at the age of five.
0: Oh, five? Um, wow. yeah.
2: How did that start? Did your, did your parents do it or? Well, so my dad did it in college. And then my uh, best friend at the time is Argentinian. And so we were doing like Girl Scouts and tumbling. And, um, I was horribly like horribly coordinated. And so it was terrible at tumbling. Um, and Girl Scouts, I'm like, I think I've told you, Ellen, I'm like a Girl Scout. I like sell cookies really well. Um, but I went to judo practice. So so listeners
0: who need cookies should buy, are no, you still no, selling? No, I know. I no? Actually. Oh. <laughs> um,
1: <laughs> I, I actually have a Girl Scout who is selling cookies right at this moment. And it is absolute hell as parent. Just Wait, so, say that's right, that. so you were
0: coordinated with Tumbling, but yet you became a listener? No. oh that yeah. there's hope for people no, out there. Yeah. <laughs>
2: Yeah. So I went to judo practice with my friend and I got thrown around, like just like completely beat up. Um, and I'm one of those kids where if you tell me like, no, you can't do something, it makes me want to do it all the much more and really excel at it. So, uh, yeah, so I made a decision that night that I was going to go back and I was going to beat the girl who beat me. And, you know, 20 years later, um, not 20 years later, probably, 15 years later I had moved to the Olympic training center was competing on the national team, which um, is in Colorado. Yep. In Colorado. So I was 18 at the time and then uh, qualified in my spot for the 2004 Olympics oh. and uh, ended up actually having a shoulder injury uh, the month before the 2004 Olympics, which were in Athens. And oh. uh, yeah, so I ended up going and watching the sport and watching someone else compete and then, uh, yeah, it was kind of depressing, but um, it was from there that I said, you know, I'm going to come back and help athletes. Um, and so I, that's when I started, I finished up college and went to medical school and come for a circle. Now I work with the USA judo team as their team doctor and I have lots of exciting things coming up. And you're headed to the Olympics with the team in the summer. Yeah. Yeah. So um I um am one of the uh I was selected to be one of the team physicians for the 2020 Olympics in uh, Tokyo. That is amazing.
1: <laughs> so exciting. i so jealous, so quite honestly. Talented, brilliant, really
0: good at everything, up for a challenge. <laughs> when you decide to have kids, how to go.
2: Yeah, so um it's interesting. So I have something called hypothalamic amenorrhea, uh, which is a condition where, you know, part of your brain doesn't tell your reproductive organs what to do. So at the age of 20, I knew something was wrong. And that's when I was diagnosed with this. And I knew that uh, fertility, my fertility journey would be a struggle. Um, and it was later on, you know, meeting my husband, uh, we were unable to conceive, which uh, was not terribly surprising. But at the same time, for someone, as you said, who you know, is so used to like, I can make it better and I can work harder in this school and I can fix it by doing this, um, to be told that there's nothing you can do to fix it. And it's in someone else's hands. And even then, you know, it's, it's kind of a challenge. It was quite difficult. So
0: how did, how did things start when you first were thinking or seeing, starting to see specialists? What did they start with? What was the first treatment?
2: Well, for me, because uh, basically I have no hormone, no female hormones in my body, um, they were basically wanting to move straight to IVF. Oh, wow! Um, so my, I didn't, I didn't go through. You know, some patients will go through. You know, possibly like clomid or doing mm-hmm. IUI or intrauterine insemination. Um, for me, it was. You know, we gotta get, we gotta take hold of these hormones and get you to start um, producing eggs and ovulating and things like that. So we went straight to IVF. Um, my first round, um, I was not successful. We, uh, did IVF. Um, we were able to retrieve like two mature eggs and, um, those eggs were fertilized, but then arrested after, um, three days. So they, they did not continue to grow, Um, and then we did a second round, um, a few months later, uh, trying again. And this was after we had, you know, went back and circled back with the physician. And at that time they said, I don't know what it is. You know, you're young and, um, you know, we, we, we wouldn't expect you to have like egg quality issues, but like what's going on seems to be an egg quality issue, um, maybe you should consider doing an egg donor And you know, for me, I was, I don't know, 34 at the time. And I, I was like, oh my gosh, an egg donor. Um, yeah. like I'm, I'm, I feel like I'm still so young, you know? Yeah. Um, and you know, and it's hard because you, for me, you know, you're like, okay, I'm going to work really, really hard and get to where I want to be and do all the things I need to do to be in a like financially stable place. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, because I was diagnosed with this, uh, in essentially infertility when I was 20, you know, there was no way that I could have tried to afford IVF at that time. There's no way. Right. Um, So any case, everybody who's like, just start really young. If you start really young, it would be easier. And you're like, dude, I don't have the money when
1: I'm
0: really young.
2: I'm still going to college. Would you have even known like
0: maybe I should do egg
2: retrieval at 20? No one was telling you that, I assume. No, no way. And and in fact, I thought that all of my issues were because I was training at a high level. And, you know, there's... um, there's study to show that, you know, either caloric intake or how much exercise you're doing can definitely impact, you know, ovulation yeah. and uh, a female's uh, reproductive cycles. So I thought that that was what was going on. And so I didn't think much of it, but then going to medical school and like not exercising as much <laughs> and definitely eating more, you know, like nothing, nothing changed for me. So, and I had, you mentioned a really interesting statistic
0: that I had never heard before that one out of four physicians who are women suffer from infertility. Is that right?
2: Yeah. 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 So it's really interesting. Wow. They um, So we say like one in eight or one in six, depending on the study, suffer from infertility. But there was a recent study, I think in the last year that showed that female physicians in particular um, were one in four. And they actually did, they controlled for different variables looking at, you know, is this because it's just later on in life? Yeah, which, I, which um, is
0: what I would assume that people that they're yeah. waiting
2: because of their career is that not? Not correlated. No, no. So, oh. Nope. So they like yeah, so they controlled for different variables and they actually found that it was not because it was older later on. And wow. you know, they thought that there might be, there's been hypothesis to suggest that it might be um, you know, a lot of us work shift work. So I work overnight, I work during the day, um, I work um afternoons, and so my sleep regulation is off. And of course um, hormones are also, uh, a lot of them are cycled by your, um, you know, your sleep cycle as well. And then of course yeah. there's like the additional stress and eating patterns. So, I mean, they're not sure why that is, but I mean, the statistics still exist.
0: That's really interesting. And the fact that they don't exactly know, but it could be shift work or related to these other elements as well. Interesting. Uh, so luckily, uh, interns paid for everything, right? Uh, No.
2: (laughs) (laughs) What? I was like, cue the big laugh. (laughs) Yeah, no, no. And so that was actually like the first time that I you know, I went into medicine because I'm like, I want to help people. And my job as an emergency medicine physician is I don't care if you have the ability to pay, like I'm going to take care of you. Right. And so I went in and I sat down and I was like, okay, we need to do IVF and we need to do this. And we talked to the doctor and the doctor's like, okay, um, well, I'm going to have you go talk to our billing department. And so, you know, you walk into the billing department and they say to you, So we have these packages and you're like, what's a package? But I don't know what that means, you know? And, and by the way, it's, you know, $25,000, but that does not include your medications. And those can run from five to $10,000. And I'm like, well, hey, but can you try and bill my insurance? Because I have like an actual medical condition. It's called hypothalamic amenorrhea. And there's something wrong with my brain. Right. And they're like, no, sorry. Wow. (laughs) We can't. Because, because you have infertility.
0: No, when they're offering you packages, how does that relate to what the doctor is telling you? Because then not the doctor be like, I recommend this treatment. But then if they're offering you packages, it must be the treatment minus something or plus something. Right.
1: You have to make decisions, but you get yeah. to make decisions that have nothing to do with the medicine. It has everything to do with the money. It
0: clearly is not exactly what the doctor said. This is what you should do.
2: Right. So, I mean, the, the the doctor is like, these are our packages to do IVF, you know, should you move forward with this and you want to have a child. And, um, you know, there's always decisions. You're like, OK, um, do I do this? Do I do I try something else? You know, hey, doc, can we do IUI? Are there other options that we can like make things cheaper? You know, how do we how do we, how do, we do these things? Um, but, you know, not not put put people into like major debt. Yeah, and were they
0: offering other like, hey, IUI would be cheaper. Maybe we just try it, even though we know it's not effective. Or how was that conversation about kind of costs with the treatment?
2: Yeah, so I never had a conversation about IUI, and you know, I'm not quite sure exactly why. I suspect it's because, you know, a lot I was young and healthy, and they thought that I might have many eggs when they do IVF, and so. When you do that and you do IUI, you have a risk of having um, multiples and that can increase my chances of adverse effects and um, long-term complications to the babies too. Yeah. When you
0: say, I already know the answer to this, so to cause me to ask it, but when you were looking at where you wanted to work, were you looking at what the benefits covered and whether fertility was part of that?
2: Definitely. So when I first took you know, before I was married and I took a job, I was like, oh yeah, that's great insurance, whatever. Right. (laughs) Uh, They have insurance. I have insurance when I work. That's perfect. Um, but as I was working and, um, I was married, um, then I started realizing that I did not have coverage for infertility. And in fact, it was in reading those entire like, 40-page novels of what's included and not included in your insurance. Wait, wait it was only 40 said, pages? Wow. It's it. it's like, <laughs> but it's, You know, these, like, super long documents where everything's buried in it. And, yeah. you know, I looked through, and, of course, you know, you're, like, searching and you say search infertility and it says does not cover anything related to infertility
1: or covers a diagnosis of that's it right right yeah I know I have it but right
2: which is super frustrating and so I of course called the billing department and I was like hey do you guys have any because of course in the emergency department we have social workers and I'm like do you guys have any recommendations? Is there any like, um, additional insurances I can take out? Is there, what do you guys do in these positions? Mm -hmm. And they were like, you know, you just pay, you just pay for it, you know? And I was like, oh, okay. Like, I don't, I don't know how that happens and how people can, can just afford that. So that's when I got really, really, I mean, really frustrated and, um, was absolutely determined to try and make a change. And I felt that it was, completely wrong what was going on going on for patients who were suffering with this, because this is, you know, it's not just a physical issue. It's emotional. And to add like a financial burden to it um, that is not necessary for a disease diagnosis is just, I feel like cruel. So... I've heard of doctors giving some crazy advice. I've
0: heard of one saying, like, well, move to Massachusetts where they do have coverage. Or yeah. I've heard of um, one saying, well, get a job at Starbucks on the side because Starbucks has
2: IVF coverage. Did, did they tell you to get a job at Starbucks? <laughs> no, no. But so it's what's interesting is um, so I think I told you, Ellen, at one point that, you know, I had taken a job that um, I knew had fertility coverage. I had a friend who worked there and she was like, you know this place they offer fertility coverage this will be great and you know ultimately that didn't work out but i i mean i i literally wanted to change jobs on the basis of providing in, in, insurance coverage for infertility and my husband so his um in his company is actually based out of california and you're we like oh california has insurance and no here in colorado they do not so Um, it was just very, very interesting. And we actually considered moving to a state that had, um, infertility insurance, like just completely like picking up and moving and taking jobs somewhere so that, you know, this, this through the roof cost of, of infertility treatment, um, at least would have some sort of coverage.
1: Which which is crazy Um, that
2: anybody even has to think that way.
1: I mean, like I know in my personal life, like we can't think that way. Like we don't have any choice in where we live. And so it's like, I, I couldn't even, we couldn't even dream of that. Like you, you can't just pick up and go. And I'm sure there's tons of people that for many, many reasons that they don't even have, like, it feels like even this is a horrible crass word and even way to say this, but it feels like a luxury to even be able to say, we could think about moving for some people. Cause some people can't even consider that part of it.
2: <laughs> right. 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 And for me, you know, I work in emergency medicine and so you know, I was like, well, I can do one week here and, um, one week back here and then, you know, and have, be and so it was, you know, it was definitely a tough decision. And, you know, it was actually after my second round, we, um, we did another round of IVF that was also not, su- not successful. Um, same, same results essentially. Um, but I sat down and, and the conversation was like, I was like, hey, you know, what do you think about me doing another round? You know, I'm still young. Um, and it was like, well, I think, you know, the cost to you would be not worth the chances of this being successful. Oh wow! Um, and so, you know, to t- to to spend another twenty to thirty thousand um, dollars, knowing that it was unlikely that I would um, retrieve eggs that would be viable embryos. Um, you know, they said, like maybe if you had insurance you know, definitely if you had insurance, it would be feasible to go ahead and do this again. Um, And there's a possibility, right? There's always a possibility. But, um, you know, when you're paying out of pocket and you are spending excessive amounts of money to do this, um, you want to do something that's going to be a guarantee, you know, and I don't live in Massachusetts. And they were like, yeah, Massachusetts has great IVF coverage. And, you know, maybe do a part time at Starbucks. Like I, my husband and I had a conversation like who can can have a part time job at Starbucks <laughs> so that we can. Like, have which some which sort the sort of the two of you, uh, which
0: one of us has the extra okay. 20 hours? Yeah. <laughs> well, let us know which location you know. to come buy lattes from. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Oh, I would be so high strung. <laughs> plus the coffee, right? Plus the caffeine. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, of course. at this point, when they're saying because of the cost, we don't think a retrieval or another another round of IVF is what makes sense what options do they lay out for you at that point?
2: So for me, it's, you can, if you really want to go through another round of IVF and pay the 20 to $30,000, that's an option, you know, and of course for people, especially me, that is not a financial option for me, you know, especially thinking down the line, if it does not work and then, you know, here I am with my husband still like longing for a family and you know, you, you're like, okay, well, you know, if you don't do that, then, you know, there's adoption. My husband is one of five and you know, we, he has two adopted brothers who like we, you know, it's, it's, we, we love, we love kids period, end of story. Um, But like, I would really love an opportunity to like build a family and carry a child and um, have all those things. Right. Um, so the next step would be embryo donation or egg donor. Um, they think that I can carry, um, a baby so that they think that those two things are, are options for us. Um, and for me, you know, that, that it wasn't a consideration. It was never in my mind, um, that I would get to that point because I was like, I'm young, you know, um, but kind of reaching out, I found out that it's actually much more common than you realize that a lot of people need egg donors or embryo donors or even surrogates. So
1: people are just not willing to no everybody's afraid to talk about it.
2: Yeah, completely. And so and and I think it creates this environment where you feel completely isolated. Right. Because you're like, I don't know anyone who's ever had to do this. Like, am I like weird? Is there something wrong with me? Like, am, am, is this, am I like living in some sort of like sci-fi novel that like later on they're going to say, you know, what did you do? And so it's, it's, it's all these thoughts going through your head because you haven't had, you know, you you haven't had that exposure because it is not spoken about and it's not widely spoken about. um, But it's, Way more common than you than you know. I think my husband actually read a stat that like one out of sixty five babies in the United States are born from IVF, which I thought was like quite interesting. Yeah, I've heard recently it's millions. I think our last our last podcast guest was saying that
0: millions of babies have been born. There's like one point two million babies have been born via art in
1: since 1985. I think somewhere between 1985 and 2017. I think is what the stat she quoted
2: but you never guess it right.
1: <laughs> no. No. That means there's 1.5 I mean 1.2 million potentially people. So it's probably, you know, some people may have had more than one child that way, but like still, huge, huge part of our population
0: right. is dealing with this and nobody talks well, about Well, in it. good or bad news, um, right. if you listen to our podcast, it seems like you know, this is everyone's life, and everyone has to turn to donors or surrogates, or it's really, it's a, it's a very common struggle for so many. So being who you are, being very analytical, really diving in, how do you approach this? Like being at that point of these different options and different paths to take, what's been kind of your structure of analyzing that and kind of searching out how you feel and what might make the most sense?
2: Yeah. I mean, I think I had to actually put up, um, some emotional yeah. boundaries for myself because it's, I think it's very easy to say like, this is what I want. And I'm going to stop at nothing until I get what I want. Right. Cause that's, that's what I've like thought my entire life. Like I want to go to the Olympics. I'm going to stop at nothing until I get to the Olympics. I want to go to medical school. I'm going to stop at nothing until I'm a doctor yeah. taking care of people. Right. So I, I had to say like these two rounds ha- were like devastating, completely devastating, So for me, it was, you know, at what expense and you think about like, what happens if I fail again? And that is a real consideration. You know, it is a very real possibility that that might be, that might actually happen. So, you know, in giving yourself the best chance for success, um, you know, I, I think for me, um, moving forward with either another round of IVF or egg donation, you know, I think that's, you know, I think it's really important, but I, I think I also have to like have kind of an emotional boundary where I'm like, okay, you have to realize where enough is enough. And, um, you can have a like happy, productive life with Mm -hmm. any decision you make. I don't know if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, definitely. And one thing I think is interesting, I don't know if you guys have done much thinking or discussion about um, egg donation versus embryo donation. I've definitely heard conversations where couples might be at this point and they'll say something to the effect of like, well, if I can't be genetically related to the child, neither of us should be. We will adopt an embryo that's out there. Or at least we can have you be genetically related and one of us will be. And kind of either way on that thinking, have you guys got that analysis or able to share thoughts on egg donation versus embryo donation, knowing that you haven't necessarily made any decision of which way you're going?
2: So I I think initially when I started considering, um, egg donation, I was like, well, if I'm not going to be related, um, then you shouldn't be, then there's no reason you should be related. And I'm carrying the baby, you know, like it was just like very, but I think at that time it was also, I was like, I was very hurt by what was Mm -hmm. going on. Um, but now I'm like, you know, with, with embryo donor or egg donor, there's a possibility. Well, at least with egg donor that, you know, my husband is, um, the father of our children and, um, be the father
0: of your children, no matter yeah. what, I'll <laughs> you tell know, you that, yeah, but, but, yeah, yeah but genetically related, genetically,
2: genetic, related. Yeah, crazy, and, yeah, genetic related and he, um, and we can have like siblings and, um, so that's, that's, uh, an amazing positive. And even with embryo donation, um, you know, there's an opportunity that they're, you know, our, our kids, our kids can be genetically related and obviously they're siblings no matter what, but, you know, I think those are both positive things for us. Um, yeah, so that makes sense. Okay. Well,
0: so we hopefully will be back to talk more about exciting news as life continues. But in the meantime, You're not just thinking about yourself, but you've been fighting for all of Colorado. Tell us how those efforts started and how they've evolved. So
2: I think they started after my first IVF appointment um, or reproductive appointment. um, So probably just over a year ago. Um, when I sat down and they gave us the options, and I was like, this is unacceptable, you know. Um, like this is terrible. And I, I it made me really upset that people were excluded if they didn't have financial resources to build a family when when like technically, there's the medical capability of this happening. Um, and it, essentially, infertility is a disease. And how can an insurance company exclude treatment for a disease? So I, um, you know, came home, obviously very upset and, um, started making some phone calls actually. So I, I have a, I have family members and friends who are attorneys and I was like, yeah, how do I, how do I, how do I, how do I make a law? You know, <laughs> and, <laughs> like, and your first phone call was to an attorney. I love it. <laughs> I, like, I, I want to make a law. How do I change it? How do I change things? You know? So Ooh. I started talking to them and, started getting ideas and then um, circling back to a couple states who were in the process of um, starting to work through legislature. And Mm so um, reached out to them, started building kind of like a grassroots um, organization. Well, not organization. It was trying, I was trying to organize. So I'll say that. Um, And, you know, started essentially like a support group and I called it Colorado Fertility Advocacy. Um, and right now I (laughs) was a great name. Yeah. And so started building members and talking about it and rallying troops. And I was searching through bills, um, that had already been passed and, um, trying to see like what I would want in Colorado when all of a sudden I got a, uh, email and it said, Hey, looks like you're working on this. We are working on this too. <laughs>
1: what? Who would send you such an email?
2: <laughs> yeah, and then um I was super excited because it was like everyone I was looking for who had like already started started processing and doing similar things and we uh came together and formed, well, has been formed the Colorado Fertility Advocates. So yeah. very similar um, name, which almost is as good as fertility
0: advocacy, but <laughs>
2: almost, almost, but
0: <laughs> I don't know exactly when this podcast will, will air, where things will be at that, at that moment, but
2: where are we, where are we now? Is there a bill? There is a bill. So we have like, we've definitely, um, reached out and we have had large support. So not only local support from Colorado, but national support. Um, so we have a large national coalition from many reproductive organizations. Um, and we came together with, with all of our minds and came up with a bill. Bill has been drafted. It has been introduced to the house. Uh-huh. Um, and we are going to be going to committee. Um, and if, if, I don't know if we, we say a date, but it's in February sometime uh-huh. in, uh, 2020, and at that point, you know, we will, we'll have testimony and have a hearing and hopefully make it out of committee and hopefully make it out of the house and hopefully make it out of the Senate and hopefully yeah. it becomes a law. gonna
0: huh. yeah. win. Um, and learning about our legislative system, has it been um, more confusing than medical
2: school? or <laughs> <laughs> Uh, more surprising okay so uh, i'll tell you a a little secret so i told myself i would never i was like i will never be political and i will never know and i'm like just i'm just like absolutely not we are gonna change this and this is how it's gonna happen (laughs) so i think the political process is um you know, you always, you're in like fourth grade or third grade, or like, how does a bill become a law? Right. Yes. <laughs> so Insert
1: watching husband, the House rock right now. Yes.
2: <laughs> yes, exactly. Actually, my husband and I just had that conversation, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, so you're like, how does a bill become a law? But then, you know, you, you, you have the like very linear, like, this is how a bill becomes a law, but then you don't realize all of the political things, like when you say yes. political, like that are going on. Like, Who who knows what and who knows who and how this is presented and the order that it's presented. And um, so, yeah, that's definitely been interesting. So we have definitely had um, guidance on that because otherwise I think we all would be like, I don't know what's going on. Who? What? Everyone should vote for us. You know,
0: come on. We're just nice. They should just vote for us. It's great. Right. And Christina knows I've been traumatized because I just thought, you know, we present something that's good for the whole state and on balance it should improve everything and so you know given that it's good for the state it should pass everyone should see
2: that and yeah. really it's not not that simple
0: no <laughs> it's no really upsetting.
2: <laughs> yeah but you know ultimately the the bottom line is that we like refocus on 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 the voices that matter and that's the mm-hmm. the every colorado person who is going through infertility or knows someone who's going through infertility or someone who's struggling with infertility and having difficulties conceiving on their own without any sort of medical assistance. And, you know, we refocus and I, I, I can only tell you what a like, strong response we've had here in Colorado um, with so many people signing up and so many people joining and so many voices supporting the, the movement. So it's been really, it's been really great.
0: Yeah. And I've been fascinated in this process that it's interesting to see it's not just from the emotional perspective or kind of this idea that this is a medical condition that should be treated, but other states have shown that actually it reduces healthcare costs and it increases better outcomes for mothers and children. There's been really strong like factual support about how it's good, especially because patients we're not making necessarily the best choices when it's financially driven. I was gonna say, you're making a medical decision instead of a financial decision.
2: Right. right. I mean, it's, it's like when you go through IVF and they're, and you have like three embryos and at the end they're like, okay, you know, do we transfer one or do we transfer two? And you're like two for one. Yeah. You know? And so, but I mean, and that's not how it's supposed to be. Right. Because right. you know, when you go through, you know, multiple pregnancy, like a multiples pregnancy, meaning like two or more babies, um, twins or triplets, you know, there's, there's a chance that those babies are going to be born preterm and then they're going to be in the NICU. And then there can be medical complications like lung issues or eye issues or, um, abdominal issues. And then, um, you know, it's, it's also the risk to the mom too. And you have to have these advanced monitoring and frequent appointments. So, I mean, cost definitely goes up. So, There was lots of studies that that show that, you know, transferring one baby is the safest thing to do essentially and most
0: cost effective in the long run. And we've, we've seen these real life stories. So one of our episodes was with the founder of Fertility Within Reach who told her own story of, I think at that time they just transferred seven embryos and then there was a multiple pregnancy and even adding more trauma, more healthcare costs that I think they had to reduce to save the pregnancy oh. at all yeah. so I mean really really emotional and traumatic and just the medical implications are also um, you know concerning when you don't have that coverage and those good decisions that can help right right well and even those one embryos can split
1: because that we 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 know a very lovely woman who transferred two embryos and both of them split and it you know, I mean that—that that was a medical decision to put two embryos in, and then suddenly there were four babies in there, and unfortunately, none of them survived, because none of the none of the babies survived. The the woman did. So honestly, I don't want I don't want to sound like I'm saying everybody you know passed away in that, but um, you know, it's really it, it's difficult because then you're going through all this hope. Okay, we put two in because we hope to have two babies, and then okay, we're going to wrap our head around having four. And then we have none again, because the risk was so high that, that none of them just could make it. Yeah.
0: Christina, for those people who might be listening, who are like you being like, this is not right. What can I do? What do you, what would you say to them? How can they get involved, whether it's in Colorado or in another state or country?
2: Yeah. So, um, you know, the one thing I did was just, um, reach out and I, I I have an open story and The one thing I realized is as soon as I started talking about it, I started realizing how many people were actually going through it at the same time. Um, You know, reaching out to your legislators, you can look up who your your district is, call text or email your House representatives, your senators, email them, let them know, you know, your story and why these things are important to you. Um, if you have a local advocacy group, um, for example, Colorado Fertility Advocates here in Colorado, reach out to them, you know, become a part of that organization um, and get involved. If not, you know, there's national organizations like Resolve Fertility Within Reach who are definitely working to try and advocate, and they can definitely get you resources and support in your um, home state if they're not already available and I basically, I feel like that's kind of how this whole grassroots process started. It was just me kind of grasping at straws and, um, finding, finding some other passionate people with like minds and, and trying to move forward essentially. Well, Christina, we're pulling for your
0: happy ending and we, yes. we absolutely believe it is there. And it just with time that will will be there. and rooting for you and and for you um in the meantime we'll be standing shoulder to shoulder with you fighting to help Yay. um others yeah. <laughs> so, thank you for sharing i hope to have you on again <laughs> to share more updates both with a past you know new law and a new baby all of it um we we hope for the future so thank you
2: thank you thank you guys for having me on
0: Thank you to Dr. Christina Yanetsos for sharing something, even while she's in the middle of it and is so raw that I think can be really meaningful to others who might be in that same place. And we are indeed really yeah. helpful, um, hopeful to have her come back and share kind of where that that journey goes. And I I foresee positive good things in her future.
1: I know. I was like, please, please, please. Um, I will say also just on a total side note for anybody, uh, just on a timeliness, I know not everybody listens like with bated breath the day these come out or anything like that. Um, but the we did talk about some legislation in there and it is uh, advocacy day for Colorado for that legislation actually is um, – going to be on February 6th. And today, the day this episode drops out, is uh, the last day to register for it if you want to join anybody. It's in not too late. Uh, I know. That's why I'm like, oh, just only. so sorry for all of you who listened the day after it came out. So too <laughs> bad for you. years
0: later, where hopefully there or, is like, a exactly. really good law
1: supporting those <laughs> going through infertility. Right. Um, but also, I mean, if anybody ever wants to do anything like that or any of those kind of things, you know, like the, those mechanisms are out there and we really do encourage people to to reach out to other people and have grassroots organizations. This this stuff really does work. It's hard, but it does work. Um, But thank you. Thank you to everybody who who does come forward and tell their story and and is part of grassroots organizations. Uh, Also, thank you to all of you who listen and who call. Uh, Our phone number is 303-997-1903. And also to all the people who email us. We really do love hearing from everybody. Huge thank you, of course, as always, 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 always to our team, uh, Tyler Ellis. Who oh, do I ever say their last name? Oh God, have I just screwed everything up? Wait, Tyler. <laughs> Sorry, Tyler, you're not you're not an anymore. Very famous anymore. <laughs> uh, Tyler, uh, Amanda. Ashley, Lexi, who is still out on maternity leave, enjoying that sweet, sweet new baby. (laughs) Uh, We really appreciate you. And of course, as always, Chris Chris at at Work Work of Bird Studios, who we have run through the ringer recently (laughs) trying to jump through hoops and get a lot of episodes out Uh, for us. So we really, really appreciate you, Chris. Thank you so much. And and as always, thank you for all of you for listening. And uh, we'll talk to you all next week.